Okay, thanks for joining me, everyone. Charles Moskowitz. My guest is Matt Errett, who uh, is really truly a modern intellectual. He's a, his, he does historical analysis, geopolitics, cultural analysis. He tends to look at the what's going on behind the scenes, if you will, the conspiracy aspect to uh, world history. And Matt, you tend to connect, as you say in your show, you connect the dots by bringing up issues in an interconnected way. You're looking at the whole world and you look at events in the context of the greater issues. You look at events in the present in, in the context of history. And uh, what you're doing is very unusual. It's a great contribution and I really appreciate it. So thanks for joining me. Oh, well, thank you so much for having me on, Charles. And I I, I appreciate the the opening remarks and uh, yeah, like I, I I think the context is is just so important. It changes everything. You know, the text without context is pretext, as, mm -hmm. as some have said. So uh, we often are, are we jump into um, a conviction on something that opinion shapers have given us to think about as far as like what is the a narrative that will explain some element of history or something in the current world without any of the the proper appreciation of. What you know? What, what are the historical forces? What are the intentions, the agendas, the the precedents, the principles that are actually at work, at play, shaping those things I'm looking at? And by uh, by ignoring it, we we make half-assed decisions and make big messes throughout history. Yes. So I'm hoping hoping that I could try to correct a little bit of that in my limited way. You know, as I'm trying to figure things out too. Well, you know, you can you're contributing to an avoidance as best we can as individuals of World War Three if we're not already in it. And of course, you mentioned information that we have historically and today, when the people in power generally write the history books and they suppress that which doesn't fit their particular narrative. So what we're doing here, what you do, it's very difficult to sort of pierce that veil of uh, establishment history and take a look yeah. at events that actually do did happen or how they've affected the way the world is. And when you try to do that, you're assaulted as a, quote, conspiracy theorist. Yeah. When, in fact, uh, much of the edifice of the establishment is woven on their own conspiracies, and often those conspiracies are insane. Yeah, absolutely. No, absolutely. And, and that, that's the only way, as far as I've come to think about it the only the only competent way to understand anything in the human world is through conspiracy like through recognizing the the causal nature of intentions to do things based on concepts um where people not just one but will have a, a common intention with at least some common idea whether right or wrong and they will do things <laughs> and sometimes <laughs> yeah. the things that they do that will be associated with 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 power with a capacity to, you know, like, obviously, if you're, if you're a billionaire, you're going to be able to have a lot more capacity to do things that have a, a larger amplitude than somebody who's, you know, a typical blue collar worker, you know, it doesn't mean that, um, that the, the, the type of effect a conspiracy of blue collar workers can have isn't very powerful. We saw that with the trucker convoy in Ottawa back in, in 2022, mm. I mean, getting normal people, although that still was only successful, keep in mind, because there was some some leadership, but getting normal people acting on a common idea that tyranny is wrong, freedom is better than tyranny, and I love my kids, I'm going to make sacrifices because of my loving of children and my own children and humanity and my nation, and 
it helped that there was some wise because this, this sort of thing can go anarchistic like the Jacobin mobs that that just cut the head, heads of everybody off and, and derailed a lot of potential that was good before right. the French Revolution turned into a bloodbath because that was a lack of leadership. There there wasn't anybody who who uh, qualified themselves philosophically to, to understand the terrain and teach the masses how to understand what they're operating within, whereas at different other moments, like Martin Luther King, he was not from a, a rich, wealthy family, Martin Luther King Jr., but yet he was still able to invoke um, a very, very edifying process that that made people better and more courageous, more dignified, um, that did change policy. It did have a, a permanent effect upon the continuity of history. So the same thing for the trucker convoy. You had certain people who were able to take the courageous stand of being um, – to take a leadership position, mm -hmm. you had Randy Hillier, you had a few other people, Beth Ann, uh, and there were a variety of, of, of people who were able to still keep it in harmony, you know, avoiding falling into the traps of, of provocateurs who were in, in, you know, as we know now, were instilled by those who wanted to turn it violent. And, um, but all that to say, conspiracies are very important for good or for bad. I mean, it, it's, it's for both. So that's my, that's what I'm trying to help people be like both understand as both what's shaping their world but also what they can feasibly if they choose to and develop their minds appropriately through understanding participate in doing what you could consider to be a, a positive form of conspiracy organize others work in town halls uh but just be a part of something that that is good yeah right and obviously conspiracies as you say i mean first of all it's a fact of life that people conspire they come together yeah. to work on something and oftentimes they do it with a level of secrecy that can be required, and that can be for good or for bad. Mm. Good examples of conspiracies would have been right here in Boston. The uh, Tea Party was mm. a conspiracy. They got mm. together secretly, and they, they, uh, the Sons of Liberty, which actually was drawn on Masonic lines, mm. and they conspired to uh, basically overthrow the British crown, and it triggered the American Revolution. Mm. Another good conspiracy was the Valkyries, who was, uh, which was led by uh, von Stauffenberg, which plot to assassinate Hitler. So, mm -hmm. you know, th these are things, sometimes you need a level of secrecy when you're dealing with very bad situations. But the problem with general conspiracy, I think, is that it's pervaded the establishment to such an extent that they're almost living in an alternative reality. And while there has been conspiracy elements at every generation, it's reached a level now where they can really mold the um, the mainstream narrative in that they control enough of the means of communication, as Karl Marx called for. And I, I trace it in the modern sense, and this, this will get us into the topic I want to talk about, to um, what, what, uh, what uh, Professor Carol Quigley talked about in the Anglo-American establishment in mm -hmm. his book, Tragedy and Hope. Mm -hmm. It was the Rhodes Roundtable, and it was this idea of merging the British Commonwealth nations and the United States into a world control entity that would informally control the world, and basically by a, a small clique of white supremacists, essentially. Um, you mentioned, Matt, that uh, you know you can have a truth speaker stand up and say something true, and they can change the whole dynamic. Mm. You know, you can go to like a, a, a local town meeting and simply make a statement of truth and it changes everything and it, and it yeah. blows up the whole narrative yeah. and you use as an example the canadian truckers and you're a canadian activist i want to say 
as an American, thank God for the Canadian truckers. You know, they really changed what was coming down the pike, which was these forced vaccine passports that would have eventually become digitized and um, would have carried all sorts of who knows what information about every single person. It would have been modeled ultimately, and there's no reason to assume otherwise, on the um, the communist Chinese model, which is uh, rating, giving people a social score, which means that you can't eat unless you have a good social score. Can't go, you can't travel. They were in the process of launching that and it was stopped by the Canadian truckers. It really was. I mean, when they got up and they blocked the roads and they shut, threatened to close the, the Canadian economy down, the uh, the whole thing fell apart and that was spreading. It was spreading to the United States, Australia, New Zealand, France, even Israel. Uh, the truckers were waking up and they, uh, so they, they had to back down. I mean, uh, here in Boston, where I live, we had a new mayor who just, uh, the first thing she did when taking office was say that you had to have a vaccine passport to go into a restaurant or a store. Yes. And that the uh, manager of those businesses would have to check your passport. Yes. And it felt, and once the truckers came on the scene, that everybody backed away. You know, the whole thing fell apart because, uh, you know, nobody wants to have that kind of paralysis. And I think that it yes. put them in abeyance, at least for now. Now, it doesn't mean they're not going to try to come back. but And it doesn't mean that they haven't put in these authoritarian laws. But at least it shows that a group of people can organize and uh, throw enough of a, a light on this kind of darkness that it puts a stop to it. So I, I just want to say I'm grateful to those Canadian truckers. Yeah, yeah no, it was it was surprising. I didn't, I didn't think that... that that we had it in us. I didn't think our culture uh, had the capacity to generate something like that because, you know, in, in my analysis of Canadian history, um, it's been a it's a series of a lot of very disappointing um, evaluations of very bad, slavish, pro monarchical uh, mm -hmm. uh, judgments over the course of. 250 years right mostly there there are these little moments of brightness of courageous sort of republican freedom-loving sentiment that emerges from time now and again throughout the history records that mostly have been brushed or erased from collective memory by the the narrative shapers of the british empire but the the culture has been really really made mushy by the handlers of canada who are located primarily as carol quigley illustrates very nicely um, not within Canada. There, there's an internationally extended roundtable mm -hmm. organization tied to Oxford. You, this is actually a junior branch of a, of a higher operating system that's more tied to Cambridge, which is sort of like the brains, whereas Oxford produces the brawn, mm -hmm. the, the doers, whereas Cambridge produces not Massachusetts. But the uh, the thinkers, uh, the, the Bertrand Russells, the, the Lord Maynard Keynes, the, the grand strategists who will shape the rules of the game in which then the Rhodes Scholars, the Fabians, will be deployed to then uh, act within the framework of the rules shaped by the dungeon masters in uh, the Royal Society in Cambridge. Exactly. So that's sort of the way that, that this whole deep state has been cultivated and groomed within America, within Canada. You know, we've got our own many leaders who die very uh, mysterious deaths or just outright, you know, assassinated before their 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 policy vision could culminate in something um, really good. Uh, you'll usually find the hand of this apparatus 
um, there in some way. And, and anybody who's looking for it will find it. As long as, like I said, as we were talking about, you don't let go of the con the, I, the understanding that the principle of conspiracy utilizing, of course, not just because conspiracy, the, the difficult thing for people is that it's tied to immaterial intentions. And we, we have a very materialist society in terms of our education system, how people are trained to conduct history research or carry out any type of political theory is it's there's a what's called um, the name that's given to it is uh, radical positivism. This idea that that the truth is located in the facts. And just by accumulating the facts, you can find a pattern, you could just sort of assemble them and impose um, some explanation onto the model. That's incompetent. The facts are useful. Looking for patterns is useful. Those are useful things that we can do. We can use our senses to collect things that we then call facts, arrange them how we see fit on any type of, you know, uh, graph or whatever on a timeline. That's fine. You could mm -hmm. take names, make an encyclopedic list of, of associations. That's fine. Um, and you could look for patterns. That's good. That's okay, too. But if you think that that's all you have. Well, it's dumbing down a broader picture because you need to analyze those facts and also who's getting to choose which facts are included exactly. and which facts are. Yeah. I mean, I've talked to people tell me, oh, I say that the, for example, the New York Times is biased on the left, which of course it is. And it's really the main mouthpiece for the entire establishment. Every, every uh, news deliverer gets a copy, no matter where they are in this country, probably yeah. in the world. But they're biased not because of what they talk about necessarily. It's what they don't talk about. It's what they leave out that makes the bias. They decide what the public is going to hear and not hear. They choose the facts. And now we're having, you know, I'm sure you've talked about this, this huge censorship campaign that's been in place, particularly since President Trump was elected. And uh, they have these... Uh, you know, misinformation mills at the big universities, yep. like right here at Harvard, they've got the Shorenstein Center, that mm. they decide what's, quote, misinformation uh, mm. and what isn't. And they, they censor that which they deem to not fit this narrative. Now, of course, they also were promoting complete garbage for years, as in Putin conspired with Trump to steal the 2016 election. That was a big conspiracy theory that they had no problem with. So, you know, this is all very selective and it's very authoritarian in nature. And it's against the American spirit, which is competition and which is a free and open exchange of ideas. Now, my new book is The Anti-Semitic Imagination. And I talk about how the anti-Semitism has been used as a tool by the establishment to divert attention from their own malfeasance. And but at the same time, I get and how Judaism has always stood against this kind of thing, going all the way back to the battles against pagan worship and uh, the mm -hmm. worship of false gods and idols. Mm -hmm. And yet I also get into what I would call the Jewish deep state. Mm -hmm. And I, I see it as starting with the uh, infiltration of this false messiah in the 16th century called Shabtes V. It's very specific that he introduced this antinomian idea that whatever is good is evil, whatever is evil is good. It's very satanic, actually, in nature. Is and it, this, is he, this is pre-Sabbatean. This is the founder of the Sabbateans. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, I mean, yeah, 16, yeah. All right. All right. 17th century. And he, uh, okay. yeah. he would, after he was exposed, he said that if we create such degradation and such debauchery and such evil in the world, then the Messiah will come to save the world. 
which yeah. is the exact opposite of the Jewish conception and the Christian conception. Yeah. I mean, Jesus came yeah. to fulfill the, the Torah and to uphold the moral and ethical precepts of, of God's uh, writ. Right. It's a complete, you know, it's, it was a complete heresy. And yep. yet after he was exposed as a fraud, his followers, many of them, most of the people dropped out of it, but uh, an elite group of them went underground and they formed this Sabbatean uh, society. And that it's that society that has struggled to take over Judaism. It's been a kind of a quiet. Yeah, yeah, Jacob Frank and all that. Oh, uh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Well, but you know, the, the thing <clears throat> that I think, because that, that's something that people will encounter very, very quickly in doing some of this research is the Sabbateans and the, and the Frankists uh, afterwards. Mm -hmm. um, and that's certainly um, a serious issue. But it's, it's the more I look at the... At, at this history from this lens of the occult and how the, the occult has been um, at the heart of the creation and um, practice of the various intelligence agencies, the migration of imperial agencies mm -hmm. from location to location. Obviously, you know, when, when Rome collapsed, um, a lot of the leading families, I mean, a couple of them might have like disappeared, you know, the patrician families, um, mm -hmm. a lot of them stayed in power, but they, they migrated. They, some of them stayed within Rome, tried to use and reconstruct the, the system of the, the demigod emperor in the form of the, the, the Pope, um, utilizing certain forgeries, like the donation of Constantine that we later discovered was a forgery where, which, which posits that, uh, it was like a, an apocryphal sort of story that, that Constantine gave, uh, the, the papacy full authority over the material domain which also mm -hmm. was the legal basis upon which the papal states were let later on justified, as well as the spiritual domain. So again, the, they wanted to sort of use a new form of Roman em emperor in that form for a while. And so some of the families stayed around Rome, tried to reconstruct it that way. Other families either, you know, moved their their possessions, their, their assets as much as they could carry from the West into um, Constantinople. Mm -hmm. A lot of them, though, the, the most virulent ones that I could see that were carrying on the the higher initiated rites of uh, you know the priesthood that controlled things like Mithra, uh, the Mithraic uh, um, cult or the the, the 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 mystery religion, as well right. as Cybele and Attis. They they migrated um, into um, Venice through a series of steps under certain Christian veneers, but not really. If you sure. look at it, it was always mm -hmm. satanic. Um, mm -hmm. And these are the same type of Satanists who were trying to destroy. Christianity earlier on with the the Gnostic Christian synthetic sects that were created as sort of pseudo Mithraic pseudo civilian uh, sects before you know in the second third century, and they 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 were trying to destroy it from within you know like introducing like blood drinking human sacrifice things like that within their higher rites of initiation which would then natural as, as saying yes we're doing the um the 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 eating of the flesh of Jesus and it's an actual flesh and you know like obviously this was hor horrific. Of course, for the the Roman population, where they're like, "That's Christianity, yeah, burn it, burn it." So yeah. you know, you had this whole thing where where the Roman people were being played against Christianity. Christianity at different times was being played by the various um, forces within the higher higher cults that often ran the most emperors and the the legions, which were always members of the cult of Mithra. They were being played against the Jews at different times. The Jews were being played against the, the Christians at different times. The people, the, the masses who weren't on either right. side were being played against both. It's the, Brit know? it's the British idea of divide and conquer, basically. And 
Well, yeah, it precedes the British Empire, and this is what took over the British Empire via uh, the Venetian transit, where Venice was the pre-British Empire global system of evil. And at a certain mm. point, when that became too weak, they had to migrate, transfer their their institutions, their their operating base to to the British Isles and to Amsterdam. And this is what the founding fathers were 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 fighting against was this agency that by this time was manifesting in form things like the Hellfire Club. You know, that that was the entire British government were, were members of the Hellfire Club before and during the American Revolution. That was the as as one of the leading members had even said um, where they were practicing within caverns, the catacombs, which is where the, the Mithraic ceremonies uh, underneath was. Rome. Right. Well, they, they still have them underneath Rome. There's there's about 600 that have been uncovered or uh, excavated um, mm -hmm. that are that are all over Europe into Russia. North Africa, even the Middle East, Syria. There's cat. There's like, Mithraeum, like, like but there was one also society. under. Uh, yeah, it's like the Tunnel Society, <laughs> <laughs> where they where they do their all their rituals. Yeah, and and it 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 could take on a um. This is where uh, Francis Dashwood, the, the the Chancellor of the Exchequer, had mm. uh, set up his his catacombs under the the I think it's Medmenham uh, Castle, where Benjamin Franklin had to infiltrate and get intelligence back to Cotton Mather and the and the the Patriots in America at the time to get a sense of like well what is what is this thing that has outlets within America like Ben Franklin's older brother yes. mm -hmm. uh, was running a chapter of the Hellfire Club in Boston, uh, or is it Philadelphia now? I'm forgetting. Anyway, but you're. Yeah, but, it, but and you had like 13 of these chapters of the Hellfire Club in the 1720s, 1730s being set up across the colonies to 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 bring in the Satanism. And so the 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 satanic Gnostic ancient mystery cults have can, they can they're highly adaptable. They can create ones with Kabbalistic Jewish flavor, with Christian flavor, with Muslim flavor. They're because they're they're they know how to create cults. And then what happens mm -hmm. is that the people who get burned by their activity will then uh, hate the form that the package that they created, the, the Jewish package, the Christian package, the Muslim package, and they will not see that. No, this is actually all equally satanic mystery cults masquerading. Right, that they're all kind of interconnected and that they're going to yeah. shift the blame onto uh, actually the enemies of, of those cults. And I, I'd, I'd note that a lot of people who look at this sort of conspiracy I think probably accurately trace it back to mystery Babylon and to, to the ancient idol worshiping cults that ran these societies. And that uh, in, the, in the modern sense, Christianity, it may be in spite of these cults, I think, I think in spite of these cults, has been a force of, of goodness in the world because it teaches that the individual derives his rights from the creator and that Jesus is the intercessor. And that the Torah says that you you know men and women are created in the image of God, and that we derive our rights from God, not from the state. So, in spite of their efforts at control, and that and it's a fascinating subject, and we need to keep an eye on it. They've they've set in motion ideas that they can't control, and I think that was also true of the founding of the United States. Because I wonder when I see things like the all-seeing eye on the uh, American seal and you know, the hellfire clubs that you talk about. I mean, I, I think that there might've been an element of that uh, kind of Masonic secretiveness that was part of the agenda of the founding fathers even. I don't know that, but either way, well, and even maybe, what? what, yeah. Oh, uh, no, 
We'll no, I was just going to. I was just yeah. I was just going to say that either way, whether or not they were part of any kind of conspiracy, maybe inadvertently, maybe deliberately, they set in motion an advance of individual freedom, and that's you know, in a sense, it was a further flowering of Christian culture, because and which was emanated from Jewish culture, which is that we derive our rights from the Creator and not from the state. Our rights are inherent or natural rights, as some of the great Enlightenment uh, figures talked about, and that uh, the state is nothing more than a, an apparatus to protect those rights, and that it operates, in a sense, in a, sense, in a very strict uh, paradigm, which is why we have a constitution. Anyway, go ahead. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I well, look, I the um the thing I I wrote a series of books called The Clash of the Two Americas um to try to make as transparent as possible my understanding of the United States as um something very beautiful but unfulfilled, right? So that's why the first mm-hmm. the first of the book of the series is the Unfinished Symphony, um, which I like as a metaphor because it does get across. I, I selected that because it it, it gets across a resolution to this false debate where you either have people who absolutely love everything about America and they are so willing to, they have a cognitive dissonance over even acknowledging any evil that was ever done by the United States, both as an, as a Pax Americana empire that's overthrown something like whatever, uh, 200 governments in the past 80 years right. uh, to maintain a system of empire, a lot of evil, a lot of blood, a lot of, a lot of uh, unjust wars of the 18th century. Well, um, mm-hmm. so the, they're, they can't see that because they're so immersed within the exceptionalism of 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 that mythos, or just the exceptional people. There's this superiority complex, mm. which is dangerous when you get, let your mind go there. Uh, the other and the other one is can the other grouping um, can only hate America, can only see the bad, can only see slavery, can only see hypocrisy. They can't see anything good, and it's like what I try to do is both recognize the evil because it's like you know you gotta as as a, as an alcoholic you gotta first admit you got a problem but you're you're trying to get back to your true self right and then also look at well where all of the points of wonderful goodness that emerged uh throughout the course of the past um you know 250 years of the american experience and so you can then get a sense that a lot of the evil was done um or can be accounted for by this unrepentant British Empire and its apparatus, which never left after 1776, it has worked mm-hmm. to corrupt the people, to corrupt the agencies, the 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 agencies of control, and um, and you could do the same thing for um, masonry as well. So these these more older institutions, because this is a new institution, right, America, mm-hmm. but right. the older institutions, you know, they, I somebody I've, I've, got, I've got one of my friends, uh, Gerald Therrien, he's writing a book right now on mm-hmm. the clash of the two Britons, getting at the fact that before this parasite latched on and started taking over England, starting especially with Henry VIII and his Venetian advisors that that induced mm-hmm. him to create things like the uh, the Anglican Church with the, the hereditary bloodline as the, the new pope. Um, this, was, this was a Venetian operation inside of England mm. that derailed a lot of the... But there were a lot of very powerful, good people um, like... Thomas More, who got his head cut off. Right. Many other uh, good Republican uh, patriots within Britain, within England, um, who have to be. We often we end up hating Britain so much that we forget. Like a lot of American 
Patriots, they they despise Britain for all of its 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 hypocrisy, pomp, and evil. And they forget, no, there's actually this current of goodness. William Penn, a lot of the like the reason why you have Pennsylvania is William Penn, who was a very different, he was anti-imperial. He had a very different idea of what empire meant based upon the the common good, cultivating right. good relations with the natives and uh, and 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 the, the settlers, and um, and so this is where Amer like the American experience is largely you could see it as the effect of a civil war within the within England is an English civil war. They, the, the, the founding fathers were all they all they were all they saw themselves as British subjects, sure, but they, they were representing the better traditions of Britain. Now what? Like just so you you know same thing clash with two Britons but same thing too for the clash with two Masonries increasingly what you see is that throughout history and deep history you have those who have it, it appears utilize the need for secrecy but also the, the idea of within Masonry around the like there's certain common ideas that you kind of have to be stupid not to agree with like um a, a brotherhood of human beings right. you know the, there's right. a lot of very good things as an of ideal. Course which are there the idea that there is a a law above and a law below a law of man that has to accommodate the law of god which is also an ideal within masonry but the problem is that these these satanic mystery cults also right. have utilized masonic agencies right especially the rosicrucians that took over created the the modern british masonry in a lot of the lodges but you you have on the one hand and i got this originally this uh, this idea that hasn't been proven wrong from Lyndon LaRouche originally in 1978 or 79, he wrote a paper on the secrets known only, only to the inner elites. And I, 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 his thesis was solid. It was, it was, it was provocative. And I, I, like I said, I haven't been able to disprove this, mm -hmm. but on the cover of this magazine called the campaigner, there's like Aristotle and Plato, uh, you know, being ripped uh, apart and they're, they're, they're in a disputation from the school of Athens. Right. And he makes the point that you have the Platonists and the Aristotelian or Neoplatonists as two opposing schools expressing themselves throughout the institutions historically, so oftentimes within Masonic uh, organizations, hmm. lodges. And on the one hand, one could be con could be considered the the nation builders, the city builders. Right. That goes back to to Solon, you know, who studied in Egypt at the Temple of Amon. Um, Moses was also in Egypt, and if you were from you know a, a noble family within you know the Egyptian. Uh, upper class, you would have Indeed. gotten a sort of uh, experience going through the, the the mystery schools in some mm -hmm. degree, but not all. But there was a but also Plato and Pythagoras also studied in in, the, in Egypt, probably the Temple of Amun at the time before it became totally corrupt, um, which would have been a place where, as as uh, Friedrich Schiller uh, got at it in an essay, or actually it was a lecture in 1793 or 1791 on uh, the mission of Moses. He's doing an analysis in this lecture on universal history and, and the corruption of the, of the, uh, of, of masonry. Um, but, but how originally one could have seen how the idea of one creator, one cause as subsuming all other pantheistic or polytheistic considerations of, of many creators, um, good and evil, which was dominant in, in the pre-monotheistic world, that would have emerged easily when you, if you, you had a, a an, um, like looking at the Pyramid of Giza, Giza, for example, it's an observatory. It's tuned to mm -hmm. the cycles of the procession of the equinox, to the, the solstice, to a variety of things. But the idea that when you look at the, the night sky, 
that there is like one harmony of the night sky. You could you could follow the stars, you could follow their their cycles over the course of of a year, over the course of many years, and you could start seeing that there's this unifying principle, which would have been very heretical and dangerous to just come out in a polytheistic world and say, oh yeah, there's only one cause of all of this. That's you know right. all of your 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 sacred myths are actually wrong because there's one god, not many gods. That will get you killed. So the the need to to put or to uh, to have sort of uh, rights of rights of initiation would have lawfully have emerged in order to vet people. You know, you can't just jump from grade one to grade grade ten. You have you're expected right. to make certain discoveries along the way before you can understand. Yeah, exactly. But then with secrecy comes corruption as well, easily because now you have uh, the seeds of power where you can just add more degrees. You can start adding more coloring to the sacred mm -hmm. stories that then are more beneficial to maintaining power than to actually helping people attain higher knowledge, which a philosopher kings must. So you could see that there would be these things. And the last thing I would say, um, there are there is evidence of massive battles within lodges throughout history, and especially the time of the 18th, 19th century. Right. Um, there were hundreds of different lodges, um, and there were life and death battles between factions on the one hand who believed that men is God <laughs> that the higher at the, the end of the day, we are God. And by the way, God is evil. Um, and we're made in the image of that evil well, God. And we are the, thus that God. <laughs> that's, that's the Sabadian theory. And it's that's also the, the roots of Marxism, yeah. I would note. And, uh, you know, I, I think that what you're describing regarding the difference between Plato and Aristotle, that was also articulated by Ayn Rand. That was one of her basic theories that, uh, Plato was the the author of the Republic. It was a hyperstate that would have complete order and control over who lived and who died. I mean, that you know, the in the ancient Greek society, if a baby would be after the baby was born, you'd have a group of judges decide whether that baby was going to live or die, and if it was going to be utilized by the state, and if it was decided the baby would die, they'd put it off on the side of a mountain, and that ultimately people would grow up to either be soldiers merchants, you know, they would chat. It was a total state control. And that Ayn Rand's theory is that that is really the the uh, progenitor to communism, whereas Aristotle believed in the primus mobile, the, uh, the, the uh, creator of the universe, although she was a radical atheist, putting that aside, that there's one source of reality, one creator of the universe, and that uh, the individual answers to that creator and not to the state. Well, there, there's a problem in that um, I partially agree with her and I partially don't because right. on the one hand, Plato is exposing people often they mistake what he's doing in the Republic mm -hmm. and they treat it like he's offering a prescription of what we should all be doing, um, which is not what he's doing. He's actually he's exposing the actual uh, he's making he's saying the quiet part out loud, the thing you're not supposed to say. He's telling you exactly all of the oligarchy's techniques of control, what model they're using, how they work. And he's writing this as well for his uh, academy, for his students, who he's trying to create philosopher kings and mm -hmm. advisors to philosopher kings. So he's he's creating an exercise in for his students to think through um, political intelligence and how to actually understand evil, how to understand the oligarchy. And the the, the, the Ayn Rand ignores the the preamble of that whole dialogue of of thirteen books or twelve books, which is book one uh, with his battle on justice with Thrasym versus Socrates, where he proves, you know, that, that the, the, the Hobbesian might makes right of Thrasymachus mm -hmm. is incompetent and not the way to organize society. Right. And then he, he takes you through a bunch of exercises. The other thing on Aristotle, 
So Plato's exposing the the methods of the evil, um, which is why the 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 you'll always find that the the best the best fighters of the of the satanic faction of the oligarchy um, throughout history are always Platonists. They're always they're using the Platonic right. method. Mm-hmm. And uh, the thing about Aristotle, his un, his his idea of prima mobile, because Plato had his own prima mobile too in the Timaeus okay. and in the Phaedo dialogue on the immortality of the soul and on the uh, the nature of of uh, the creator. Mm-hmm. Uh, Plato's uh, is is a highly active creative force, like a god that is that is both um, super mundana but also mundana. So both through the world, but also not contained by the laws necessarily of the world, but both. And is present in every moment, in every part of the universe that is creation, that is harmonic, reasonable, good, and loving. Whereas the Aristotle prima mobile is the unmoved mover, uh-huh. the the creator that created the world, but is now so in, made the world so perfect that the creator is now incapable is, is outside of the world to have influence. It's kind of like exactly. it's kind of like deism, and also ultimately the Aristotelian idea was synthesized with the Judaic idea that God is the author of moral and ethical reality and, and a moral and ethical code. To, and that, that was synthesized mainly in the Gospel of John, which is, of course, the fourth book of the of the New Testament, where he talked about Logos, which, of course, is a description of the order of the of order of society, the order yeah. of the universe, that uh, that right. that basically was merged with the Greek concept. But to bring things up in terms of masonry, um, my understanding is that it was infiltrated by the Illuminati of Adam Weishaupt in the 1780s when once his uh, his secret society, which uh, emanated out of the University of Ingolstadt in uh, Munich, was exposed by Bavarian authorities. And that the idea that he was into was this idea of ultimately abolishing all clerisy and all sovereignty and creating this kind of international ant colony or whatever. And whatever, you know, like kind of where, where people would be semi-lobotomized and we would all be part of a cog in a wheel. And that uh, George Washington was alerted to this um, by by a preacher in Boston by the name of Schneider, who said, are you aware that the Illuminati might have infiltrated your lodge in Alexandria, Virginia? And Washington sent him back a letter saying, I am aware of the Illuminati and I do not believe that they're here. They did not. They did not infiltrate my lodge, and uh, it's a, it's actually a letter that is on display at the Masonic Lodge in Alexandria, Virginia today. So this is history. But the point is yeah, that yeah. the uh, oh. the you know Masonry played, I think, a generally a positive role in the founding of the United States. And the question is that even if it didn't, the ideas of the positive ideas of it did, were embraced by average citizens to such a degree that this internationalist-oriented, illuminated, if you will, establishment, however you want to describe it, they've not been able to really control the high ground. They maybe have tried, but they have to operate within the societies that they function and conform themselves to those societies. And in the case of the United States, they've not been successful so far. Yeah. Well, okay, so so there's there's a point that ties in both with the previous thought and, and this one, um, Aristotle, Plato, and this thought regarding the manifestations of the different um, dynamics within uh, opposing lodges. 
So one thing I forgot to mention regarding Aristotle within his politics is the concept mm -hmm. that within natural law, we have to presume that there are um, masters and slaves. That, that right. So built into natural law and the fabric thus of human social organization, we have to presume because in Aristotle's world, his logic is, well, there are slaves now. There are people who are thus, he says, born slaves and people who are born masters at which we have to presume um, as an immutable fact of creation, which will always be as a universal. Now that right there is toxic and poison. Um, if if we that make is. that a rule, right? Like like it's like Marx coming out saying, well, because there is injustice and social turmoil of the proletariat and a, and a, and the those who control capital, um, that is an immutable fact. The, right. the class eventually struggle is was proven to be not so. But I would just only note that in Aristotle's time. Slavery was the economic system. I mean, most people were at some level slaves as opposed to, uh, you know, free laborers. And uh, so, you know, we would have to look at it in the context of the times. I mean, I, you know, but yeah, I mean, I know what you mean. I mean, yeah, you're so, what I'm saying, right? So like yeah. the, the idea that you would make it a, a general universal law is very dangerous uh, sure. versus simply recognizing that, okay, we're addicted to this practice though. It's like the founding fathers, you know, like they agreed at least when they were signing, when they were setting up the new nation that, okay, we need, this is ultimately wrong. The British got us addicted to this form of, of economic wiring because slavery was in, in America, not because the, the Americans like voted and wanted slaves. It was like, it from was, it was imposed on America by the British. Yeah. I mean, yeah, the British even, Africa company yeah. was dumping slaves in from uh, from the, the Portuguese. You know, I, I mean, oh, yeah. it was it was, and then they were addicted to it. Like it's like exactly. born to an addiction, and there was an understanding that okay, we have to weed our, wean ourselves off of this because all men really are created equal. So they had they were like okay, within twenty years, we're gonna pass, we're gonna act upon this agreement now, this contract to stop importing new slaves. We're gonna make this illegal, and already, uh, I think some half the states were all or new, new uh, colonies were already in agreement. We're gonna not have this at all. That's right. So everybody was it was on the way out, and there was a lot of effort to get the the addict back into the drug, <laughs> and that was like a lot of the 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 mm -hmm. opium slave running families that became literally, uh, yeah, that's right. Like yeah, like, like what the like the uh, what the uh, British uh, India Company did to uh, to China. Right. I mean, yeah, See, the opium exactly. It all opening. The yeah, thing exactly. Up. It all played of, into that. A lot of big merchants in the establishment in Boston made, made a lot of money from that. You know, like, yeah, the and their families family became and these are the junior aristocratic families modeling themselves off of the British mm -hmm. high ethic that have their little castles and, in, in, you know, they have their little manor <clears> in, in England as well. And they just they try to model their their accents off of the British. Oh, yeah. They were very, very Anglophilic. Super Anglophile, yeah. yeah. The Pilgrim Society is it comes out of this whole thing that interfaces with the the Roundtable movement yeah. in America, the CFR. So all that stuff, all that to say. Um, so Aristotle's position on on slavery is really gross, and his idea also of the tabula rasa that that we're born with mm -hmm. as a blank slate, later taken up by John Locke, who, by the way, also was a director for the British Royal Africa. Oh, is that right? Company. Yeah, uh, he said we John all, everyone life life is short and brutish, I think was his quote. Yeah, no, he was a high level British imperialist who yeah. really despised the idea that all men are created equal, made in the living image of God. He didn't he was not on that board. He was on the other side. And, and that's why he was yeah. he was more than happy. Um, also, pass helping write legislation that banned the development of manufacturing in the colonies in the in the early uh, 18, wow. 1800s. So okay. John Locke was. We've been lied to 
by the myth makers who've taken over control of our society to have us believe that British imperial uh, blank slaters who promoted slavery were the inspiration for the American founding fathers, which is not true. There hmm. were some founding fathers who like Locke, like Jefferson, who had a problem Jefferson, with yeah. <laughs> his, his love of slavery, which he did have a problem with that. But that, but the, the but he he was not a mover of the process. He was somebody who was kind of like with his foot was he right. had two feet in two worlds. And at the end of um, the day, he was a patriot, even though he was at the end of the day, he was a patriot, he right? Still, and he still had some of these agrarian imperialist approaches, and and a lot of his yeah. battle with Hamilton is based on that. But uh, I want to bring things yeah. up to uh, the nationalist okay. movement, which is the the most. I think progressive movement men. Oh, wait, 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 but the men. Illuminati thing. Uh, so just quick, just oh, quick, yeah, before please, you do the nationalist please. thing. So, um, so the thing that I've noticed yeah. so far is that, well, one, the big purge of American lodges, like the patriotic lodges, happened sure. through um, a Masonic operation in the 1820s that lasted until the 1840s. It, it was a while. It was a huge all-out like war. Was this to, to do with Albert Pike? Albert Pike did play a role in this, and in his uh -huh. Morals and Dogma, he speaks quite favorably upon this, actually. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, but there's a guy named William Morgan. You hear about William Morgan? Oh, yeah, sure. I mean, he was the, the, the assassination or the disappearance of Morgan led to the anti-Masonic party that yeah, exactly. was headed by John Quincy Adams, who wrote some incredible documents railing well, I, against it. Well, I have, yeah, Quincy Adams' uh, writings on it. I think he got pulled into something that he didn't fully understand. But okay. it does seem to be that um, that was a coup of the most satanic evil of the lodges. And all of the patriotic lodges mm -hmm. were shut, were almost a totally annihilated uh, throughout right, that process. Right. And In only upstate New York. the Scottish right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And only the Scottish Rite with its northern and southern southern branch came out as the king of all lodges by the end of that process by the, the 1840s. They were the only ones to come out and dominate huh. everything else. And ev all of the good ones like that Henry Clay, the protectionists, the Whigs, mm -hmm. the people that were fighting to get people like Zachary Taylor or, or William Harrison in power, um, they were wiped out. Um, now, the thing about William Morgan that I was noticing because this is around the same time that you had uh, British intelligence with, and there was this core Gnostic cluster of intel operatives that were working around the Archbishop of Canterbury in the 1820s to revive um, a Jesuitical thesis um, by, oh, I forget his name all of a sudden. But there was this thesis that was put forth at the Council of Trent in the 1860s, 70s, mm -hmm. that um, was based upon an interpretation of end times theology or end times prophecy around this idea that... Um, it would accompany certain things like the 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 convincing all the the world jewry to go to a certain place back in the holy land the reconstruction of solomon's temple have to, and if you do all of these things then the right. end times will come in some cataclysm and something good will happen maybe afterwards you know so but this is a jesuitical thing that was part of a, a whole operation in the 16th century um that was shady business this this thesis was forgotten mostly and then revived in a big way it, it, it took on some weird forms with uh, 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 Oliver Cromwell and his his circle mm -hmm. was was infested by some of the stupidity. But then it came back in a, in a violent way in the 1820s with the Aylesbury Conference in uh, in Britain. And Thomas Carlyle was a leading figure within this thing. And the idea was to create a massive surge of of synthetic pseudo-Christian Gnostic cults. Um 
that you had the new apost new apostolic church you had you had it seems like the mormon groupings were brought yes. into america through this process and they're very secretive the, the mormons oh I mean, highly it's, yeah it's a it's 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 a gnostic cult and i think um, that they also now, came about around the same time as 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 more as henry morgan oh yeah and here's um, the know, thing here's the, here's where it gets weird right so yeah. morgan all of a sudden there, he does, there, he's never proven to die what what right. he does is he's a loudmouth who's got a really bad reputation as like a scam artist. He all of a sudden says, "Okay, by the way, I'm a, I'm a grandmaster uh, Freemason. I've got all I went through all the rites of initiation, and I'm going to write a book exposing everything." And he, he's really loud everywhere he goes. He can't stop talking about that. And right there, that's a, that's a bit weird. Now that being said, the, the the press agencies are covering him like they're making him like a star. And all mm -hmm. of a sudden, he disappears. What? He doesn't he doesn't like nobody knows where he is. So obviously he's dead, right? That that's the thesis everyone says. Sure. Now he's dead. Mm -hmm. Now I'm not convinced he died. I, mean, I think the whole okay. thing was a, was a theater. Um, what happens immediately? He went to is, Canada, right? Maybe, yeah, maybe. Uh, Canada plays a weird role in this, all this whole thing, sure. but um, I think he probably went to a Mormon um, commune because the Mormons were also gearing up to do their own civil war in America. They had their whole like little war, right? Uh, right. With the in federal government, yeah. Uh, yeah. And they had their whole idea of Zion as well mm -hmm. um, in America as, as the Garden of Eden sort of. It's weird. But all I have to say, and it's an alien cult, too. They believe that, that you know, God lives on Cobalt. But uh, <laughs> right, no, all I have to say, this, yeah, yeah. And we all get a planet if, we, if we're part of the, the higher initiated class within the Mormon groupings, because there's a higher, there's lower and higher, like an exoteric and esoteric um, schooling within Mormonism. And if you're part of the, the right. upper, upper class, then you get your own planet, apparently. All that to say. Um, so this, this initiates this massive, massive crackdown, right? Like everybody's going ballistic on the Masons are evil and everything, everything is oversimplified mm -hmm. and, and you, you can't like all the lodges get hammered. Henry right. Clay, the, the wigs who are, many of them are operating through the lodges get hammered. Um, now Morgan, his wife immediately becomes of all of the people in America, she goes to a Mormon commune and becomes one of the wives of uh, Joseph uh, uh, Smith. Smith. She yeah. becomes a Smith wife. Okay. Yeah. And which I think he had like almost a harem of wives. He had a harem. He had his harem. Yeah, he did. And, uh, and sort of Brigham Young. And, yes. but so she becomes a Smith wife. Okay. Um, And then what's really weird is like 18 years later, you know, so for some people within the Mormon um, practice, you do a baptism after somebody dies, mm -hmm. right? Not for everybody, but for some people. Right. Um, they, the Mormons end up overseeing, they do uh, a baptismal ceremony for um, William Morgan. Uh -huh. 18 years after he supposedly very, died in, in 1826. That's very telling. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and this thing's just coming out so many levels. So now at yeah. this point, and then Albert Pike later on writes in his Morals and Dogma of what a what a what a positive thing this whole anti-Masonic movement was, and he's talking about how hmm. the dupes and the fools on the lower levels will do things that actually will benefit those higher Luciferians uh, that are in the you know, know not not to throw another log on the hmm. fire, but is this is also around the time that Andrew Jackson suspended or refused to renew the charter for the second bank of the united states uh, which is a whole big subject you know i we, we're kind of reaching toward the end of the show so i want mm. to and there's so much we're just getting started yeah i mean this is like amazing i mean I, 
you you are like a, a walking encyclopedia. I mean, it's incredible. Your knowledge and your 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 synthesis uh, of stuff. Uh, it's great. Well, thanks. I'd like man. to have you back and uh, do do yeah. regular regular programming here. Um, but I want to talk about Zionism and nationalism a little bit because that's one of the topics in my book. The nationalist movement was, I think, the most progressive in history. It was the ability of a group of people to control their own lives and destinies through the establishment of governments and nation states that would, by which people would share certain commonalities of culture, language, faith, and, and other aspects, and that they would then have this kind of sovereignty and be able to exercise that kind of control. Mm. That's what Zionism is for the Jewish people. And I know there's a lot of conspiracy theories around it as being some kind of a world control thing. And you've got this complete misinterpretation of this concept in Judaism of the chosen people, which is in a way the same misinterpretation that Americans have of manifest destiny. That's not the purpose of the idea. The idea of the chosenness is that the Jews were called at the foot of Sinai to serve God, not to control anyone, not to control man, but to take on an extra layer of responsibility, things like, you know, dietary laws and, and rituals, so that they could be closer to God, so that they could raise their spirituality and thus be an example to all of mankind. And that, in a sense, if you look at the Jewish history, the Jews have always bucked establishments and they've always been very individual oriented. They've prized education and family and moral values. And um, Zionism has been a thread that's run through Jewish history. I get into every century how the Zionists, how Jews have tried to reassert control over that miserable piece of beachfront that we call Israel. And why God chose that, who knows? That's a a question that's uh, you know beyond my pay scale, but that's what we were commanded to do in the Torah. Nothing more and nothing less. Take possession of that tiny strip of territory between the river and the sea, as the Palestinians like to say, except obviously for the Jewish people. And uh, I think there's been, you know, does Israel have a deep state? Yes. Israel knows how to play ball with the deep status. You know, they always did. They know how to get benefits from the Rothschild family. They knew how to play ball with the uh, all of these, uh, you know, the, the Rhodes Roundtable people. But but the only difference, and it's bad, and some of the stuff they did is very unsavory, even to this day. But the only difference, difference I would make is that their goals are, are very modest. It's to preserve that tiny speck of land, that society that they've built there against what I would argue are genocidal forces. And uh, if you look at Israel today, they have created this dynamic nationalist entity that's both spiritual and political. And that it's, if the Arab street would wake up and realize that they should do the same in their own countries, rather than focus on this irrational hatred of Israel, then, then they would have independent, sovereign societies. And I get into the history of how Originally, the Arab leaders wanted to do this with Israel and how they were subverted by this internationalist order. Anyway, mm. thank well, you for I, what, I would, what I would say. <laughs> yeah. yeah, what I would uh, say there is Yossi Balin, the former justice minister, uh, gave uh, an interview 
in I think it was 2003. Mm-hmm. I want to say um, when he was trying to revive an Oslo two that had been derailed earlier in the nineties through the, the murder of, of Rabin. And uh, I think Yasser Arafat hadn't been killed yet, but there was a, a grouping that did um, forensic analysis upon his bones that were exhumed and proved that there was polonium poisoning there. So it, it seems like Arafat's death also wasn't so natural. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously Yitzhak Rabin being murdered did it, it 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 destroyed a lot of potential um and it wasn't you know people were like oh it was a obviously you know terrorists and it's like you know well it's crazy ass rabbi cook follower <laughs> um, no look these uh, things so, don't happen by yeah. accident I, I yeah, yeah. yeah and, and you'll see Balin, uh, the point he made is look we we wanted to create uh um a, a homeland a sanctuary uh, for for jews to be safe um not a new masada cult and uh and i thought that that was an important lesson because you you he he is as well as yitzhak his, his former boss and friend was was aware uh that there was this blood and soil cult that had mm-hmm. been incubated um throughout the century and uh was very very dangerous if that got out of hand okay and um I, I that I, remember I was saying that there could be a book on the the clash of the two Britons or the clash of the two Englands. Clash two, there could be a clash of the two Zions too. I think you know, like there, sure. there's this important need to map out the structure of the occults, satanic agencies masquerading as Judaism. Um, and mm-hmm. I believe that Rabbi Abraham Isaac Cook, from all of my analysis of this character, was uh, a Satanist, uh, a, a, uh. the worst kind of Kabbalist. Not not. I, I believe that there's a school of good Kabbalism. I'm open to that, but this, right. this but guy he, he might have been he might have been a follower of uh, of Shabtai's V, you know. Possibly. I'm feeling like he probably it smells like it, and that's why the British Empire installed him in in 1919 as the the lead rabbi of Ashkenazi Jews in in uh, in first in Palestine, and um, yeah, and they also co-installed Hajamin at the same time exactly, to which was, op- op- it's, position. it's classic it's classic um, British policy of dividing. Picking the radicals on both sides to control the argument. Rather yeah, than exactly. And, yeah. and 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 you know, if when I in my mapping of things, when I look at um, the these different like the like Jabotinsky was brought in first. He was he was working with Trotsky directly um, in Ukraine and mm-hmm. Russia as part of this whole Wall Street, you know, color revolutionary operation uh, to yeah. undermine um, Russia. And the Romanovs and, and the broader global dynamic that the that that Russia was participating in as far as like setting up the stage for a world of cooperation based on on American system practices of, of Russian versions of greenback state banks protectionism building rail industrial corridors to elevate people from being serfs to becoming like active participating citizens with mines. Oh, yeah. and so that was going the, on in Russa. That had to be undone. So that Jabotinsky was already. Was, you were, let me just interrupt. I mean, you're yeah, right yeah. that. Under the last, under the last Romanovs, Russia there was a middle class emerging, and that they were moving, yeah. I think, rapidly toward a, a truly great sovereign state, and it was yeah. undone by this conspiracy, to yes. uh, you know by by the Bolsheviks, so called. Yes. Was, so the so all that to say, like looking at the different, so you had Parva. Alexander Helf and Parvis, who on the one hand was one of the, the trio working with Trotsky, uh, mm-hmm. setting up things like the Young Turks operating through a Mazzini Lodge run by Mazzini's uh, grandson at the time in in, um, in Cyprus. 
which managed a big chunk of the the Young Turk operation to destabilize Russia's underbelly before World War One even started, yeah. and set the groundwork, utilizing as well what became Muslim Brotherhood operations, which is a Freemasonic lodge as well, and right. fusing money and drugs from his controllers down into, into that zone. Um, then on the other hand, you had Jabotinsky doing something kind of similar, trying to like model himself off of a fascist structure of Mussolini's Italy, mm-hmm. um, which, which uh, what's his name, David Ben-Gurion called Jabotinsky Vladimir Hitler for a reason, because he's, you know, you look at what the ear gun and, and the, you know, was, was doing um, right. along with, with uh, Rabbi Kutz's, uh, Kuk's operatives, um, they, they were pushing a very ubermenschen mode of organizing society and at different times would carry out mass atrocities against the Arabs who've been living there. And at different times, Haj Amin was inducing uh, yeah, useful was, idiots to like carry out war. massive atrocities against, against Jews. And exactly. again, they just want to incubate eye for an eye type of baggage, mm-hmm. which they've been able to successfully do for a century. So we've been played a lot. And that's my whole point is that whenever I, I speak to an Arab audience or a Jew, Jewish audience or a Christian audience, I'm always trying to get people to appreciate how we've all been played by the same satanic force of ancient mystery cults at the end of the day <laughs> that uh, we have to be aware of. And have that conversation first and then it'll, it'll, yeah, exactly. And, no, I, and then, I, that, and I we'll, make the same yeah. point in my book. And I just, I, but I just would note that Zionism itself is an organic dynamic movement. I mean, in the same way that the American movement and Patriot movement was, was such, and that uh, you always have these people. And as you point out, that are at very high levels who are involved with interconnecting secret societies all around the world who try to manipulate it for their own agendas. And, uh, you know, all sides are hurt by that, obviously. Certainly, that's the case with Israel and Palestine. Mm. So. Well, love love, love God, love your fellow man, the golden rule. I mean, to the degree that we, we live our lives that way and we organize our laws, then I think that whatever nations we create gain legitimacy in what the Chinese call the mandate of heaven. Mm-hmm. Uh, to the degree that we're defiant, of, of those principles of God's God's law, and then we lose the, the mandate to, to have validity to our, our nation and ourselves. So if we uphold those principles, we're good. We're good. We can fight the oligarchy. And whether it's Israel or, or the USA gains authenticity and a legitimate right to, to, to be a, a true nation in the, in the brotherhood of nations. And if not, it, we can all become corrupt as well. So it's, it's, yeah. it's the, Moral med it is on all of us to maintain that morality in our uh, in our worlds. So that's how, that's my position. On no, the and I couldn't agree more. I mean, it's our job to try to use our agency to expose and identify mm-hmm. the nature of this general conspiracy, this evil conspiracy. What what Whitaker Chambers called this conspiracy of gentlemen. Basically, it's not mm-hmm. necessarily that they're all mm-hmm. they're not all sitting around in a smoke filled room somewhere plotting. They all don't necessarily agree with each other. In fact, some of the biggest wars have been between the rivalries within this conspiracy, but mm. they all possess and they advocate an unnatural agenda, one that undermines the idea of man as created in the image of God and answering to God. Anyway, Matt, Eric, right. I want to thank you for joining me. What a great conversation. Please hey, man, let you. my, yeah, listen, this is amazing. Please let my listeners and viewers know where they can find out information about you and about where you uh, do your thing. Oh, sure. Yeah. Uh, okay. So they can go to CanadianPatriot.org for uh, my more geopolitical history stuff. Uh, it's not just me. I mean, it's it's a web platform I've made uh, back in 2012. Um, mm-hmm. 
Also, all of my books are available uh, for purchase, easy to find on there. And our new videos, we've been doing um, documentary films now for, for about a year and a half, and that's going well. So that's the, we always make those free for, for people to watch and share. Uh, the RisingTideFoundation.net uh, is more educational, cultural warfare stuff that I, um, I set up with my wife, um, who's the president uh, back in 2019. So that's what we do, mm -hmm. weekly meetings, seminars, study groups of original texts. Uh, we just did Rabbi Philo of Alexandria's. Oh, yeah, sure. On creation. Um, Excellent. And now we're currently reading some Plato. So if people want to get involved with that, send us an email at info at RisingTideFoundation.net. And uh, lastly, Substack. So sort of what's saved us financially speaking uh, since since a lot of since the demonetizing our, our right? revenue has been. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we've um, all had that. Has been Substack. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, we've all experienced Absolutely. that. So Substack's good and there's free and paid up upgrades. And that's MatthewArit.substack.com. All right, Matt. Listen, it's been a great pleasure and honor. And I, I hope you come back sometime. And I really appreciate it. Thank you so hey, much. Man. My pleasure. All right. Take care.